And I'm Karen Wright, and joining me now is our good buddy, Al Bat. Hey, Al, how are things over there? Did you get frozen over at Heartland last night? You know, it doesn't look like it, but I'm I'm thinking in some of the low spots we probably did. But if right in the yard, it, it doesn't seem to be, but it had to be real close. Well, I had the frost on the windshield this morning, nothing that was hard to scrape or anything, which was good, because that's the incentive for me to clean the garage so I can put it... <laughs> put it in the stalls and I did cover up a lot of my pots and things that were sensitive but uh, overall I didn't see the zinnias when the zinnias get killed I know it's been a real hard frost and they're still there so yep it's amazing how some plants have uh, you can survive frost I I just it's astounding sometimes you look out and sometimes it'll be some of the frailer looking plants too and you look out and think how do you do that how do you how do you stand that kind of cold? But you know the cold actually makes something taste better, like Brussels sprouts. They say with a little frost nip on them, that actually improves the flavor. So uh, so let them freeze as much as they want, I'd say. And it certainly does for uh, birds. A lot of things like high bush cranberries, they're not real crazy about. They like them when they get some cold on them. As a matter of fact, a lot of birds will kind of wait till winter and eat high bush cranberries because mm-hmm. then they taste pretty good they kind of ferment too which might have some (laughs) of that but there's probably a sweetness that comes with the the freezing so there's there's good good things to that i i watched our cat the other morning pearl p-u-r-l that's our cat and she was performing her daily ablutions and the old saying is if a cat washes her face over her ear it's a sign that the weather will be fine and clear. So with that as a guide, I headed outside, and a flock of pelicans passed between the sun and me. It's just one of those cool things when things line up. And about 50 to 75 pounds of pelican shadows went by just out of my reach. But it was so neat walking there and all these shadows going by me. It was just a wonderful experience. But my yard showed me its first dark-eyed junco and the white-throated sparrow on October 2nd. And there were many butterbutts, yellow rump warblers about. Uh, there were some Nashville warblers, raucous blue jays, noisy robins, and flickers. Flickers are only brown-backed woodpecker here in Minnesota. Filled the rest of the yard, and the robins were busy eating the fruits of the of our hawthorn trees and also of our mountain ash trees uh, so pearl was right i'm going to pay more attention to her you know i just uh i she meows and i just think she doesn't know what she's talking about half the time she's a cat but she knows stuff so cats know more than we think i i think they are actually smarter than us if they could only communicate it to us and we could understand it's just a good thing they don't have thumbs yeah, <laughs> you know they would they wouldn't need us at all. Then. Right, they would they would just take over everything. They get their own food and say, yeah. I heard from Doug Keezer. Doug lives up in Minneapolis, and he said he saw a, a, there was an immature. Now I'm going to say Sabines gull. It's currently present at the Waterville Fish Hatchery Ponds west of Waterville. It's the third pond west of the entrance road. And I would guess, Doug said, that this is the same bird that was previously seen in Rice County. Now, when I uh, said how I'm going to pronounce that, all my life I've heard people say Sabines, like S-A-Y and um, part of soybeans, Mm -hmm. Sabines gulls. 
Well, I looked it up a few years ago, and it's named after a guy. And he pronounced his name like Sab, like, oh, like Cab, Sab, and then Ein, as long like in wine. So I'm going to try to say Sabine's Gull, because that's, um, you know, it should be the same way I guess the guy's name was. Uh, Chad Hines of Mankato said, I've been staked to the Bethany Hawk Watch for much of the fall, and I just needed to get out in the field a little, and Sunday seemed the perfect day to do so. I ended up seeing 66 species as I perched, as I searched for the Sabines gull in eastern Blue Earth County. A Sabines was seen in Waterville, sparking the interest. It is still a little early for diving ducks, but I had a northern pintail, American widgeon, gadwall, northern shoveler, ruddy duck, and blue-winged teal at Indian Lake south of Highway 14. A couple of cranes on the north side of 14 were a nice surprise. County Road 168 east of Perch Lake has eight little flooded area, has a little flooded area, not eight, a little flooded area which had about a half dozen mixed yellow legs, and they were the only shorebirds that I had for the day. At Mapleton Sewage Ponds, I had an American pipit and a flock of 30 pine siskins. They were feeding in the white spruces along the entry road. Had an additional six at Bethany doing the same thing, and I heard rumors of a flock in North Mankato as well. My yard was alive with warblers, yellow-rumped in Nashville, and sparrows, Lincolns, white-throated juncle yesterday as well. The Bethany Hawk Watch has been active this fall and just cleared 7,000 birds for the fall season. We've had 11 dark morph broad-winged hawks and nearly 4,000 vultures. Yesterday we counted 159 raptors, that would be on Sunday, and hopefully we'll see more the next couple of days with the cooler temperatures. Finally, I wanted to announce the date of the 2017 Christmas bird count for Mankato. Please mark your calendars for December 16th, uh, Saturday. I'll get more details to you as the date approaches. Uh, John Cruzy of Wells said, I think I saw a green-tailed towhee. What a great name, green-tailed towhee. I remember seeing a green-tailed towhee in Mountain Lake, Minnesota, in the yard of a, a pastor. And I remember everything on sadly except for the pastor's name. He was such a nice guy, but it was a really cool bird. I just happened to be going by Mountain Lake, and I got a text message from a friend saying, if you're ever over in the Mountain Lake area, there's a green-tailed toy here. And I pulled in, and there it was. I've seen a lot of them down south, but uh, this was a pretty cool one to see in Minnesota. But back to John. John said about he thinks he saw a green-tailed toy. He said, I didn't have binoculars, and I was watching from about 50 feet. It was in a mixed group of sparrows and a thick growth of amaranth and ironweed on a mound of dirt. I know at least one was a song sparrow, and it looked like a white crown was there as well. There was one that was a little bigger, but no noticeable markings from that distance other than a reddish-brown on the forehead that could be raised into a crest, a slight greenish tinge to its back, some sort of pattern on the face I noted at the time as being waxwing-like. I'm trying to find it again, this time with binoculars, but I keep on getting rained out. Also, I did hear a call, but I can honestly say that it sounded unusual enough 
to catch my attention. So uh, good luck, John. I hope to uh, find one. That's, that's a pretty cool bird. I think they're lovely. Uh, Jamie Tennyson. Uh, Jamie lives in Clarks Grove, and she and her husband, John, have a Christmas tree farm which uh, is a pretty cool thing to have. It takes a lot of work. You know, we just always think, well, they plant the tree, they let it grow, and then they cut it off and sell it. But there's a, a lot more to that. They have to shape the trees and they have to keep them healthy, and you're just doing something there all the time. But she, uh, Jamie said a lot of people have been talking about the lack of birds, and she said, well, maybe they all ought to have a Christmas tree farm because she has a lot of birds out well, there. So Isn't it because they need shelter? Because I notice in the winter a lot of them, We'll use the arborvitae trees because they're evergreens to to shelter in the winter, and so a lot of them hang around and like to hide in there or or piles of brush even. And uh, I'm with those birds. When I used to do a <laughs> lot of snowshoeing, snowshoeing's fun and it warms you up. But sometimes you would get out in the wind and it would just kind of burn your face a little bit. So I would look for a nice cedar grove and just kind of snowshoe my way in there. And it would warm me up. And I, there was always always a lot of cardinals. I'd always find cardinals in a cedar grove because they were probably there for the same reason I was. They weren't snowshoeing, but they were coming in there just because it's a nice, warm, sheltered place. Boy, you get out of that wind, and it makes all the difference in the world. And, yeah, it's a good, safe place being in a Christmas tree farm. There's a lot of... Uh, and there's probably a lot of things to eat out there too, and so it's just a good place. So, I it's a, I'm going to head out there sometime here in the near future and just you know, look at all their stuff. They just bought the farm. Uh, I knew the people that they bought it from very well, and they were good folks. So, it they it was a good folks selling it to good folks. So it was a nice thing. Uh, Pastor Vern Harris is going to give a talk on the remarkable loons. And um, he said they are truly unique birds. And boy, they are. They're our, our state birds, so they got to be cool. And he's going to be the speaker tonight at Southwest Little Theater in Albert Lee at 7 p.m. And everybody's invited, uh, invite friends, neighbors, anybody. You don't have to call or anything, just show up. 7 o'clock, Southwest Little Theater. Uh, it's in Albert Lee, right off Highway 13 or, or 69, whichever the, the number in the road changes. Uh, it's a, um, a, it'll be fun. And they'll usually give away some honey and things. It's pretty cool that the Elberly Audubon Club has their own uh, uh, beekeeper extraordinaire, and he has all this honey, and they give it away at their meetings, and uh, it's really good honey. Um, I got a nice email from somebody, and all I have is an email address, but said, why do birds face the same direction when sitting on utility wires? <laughs> yeah, it's a cool question. When you drive along, you'll see a lot of starlings now because the swallows have kind of left, but you'll see a lot of starlings on utility wires. And if you look at them, they're all facing the same direction, and they're all like a bird apart. You could put a bird in between them because I suppose they don't want to have their neighbor reach over and hammer them with a bill or something. So they, they like to give space to the bird next to them. They, each bird wants its space. But they're all facing the same direction. Well, 
one reason is that I can think of two reasons that they do this. Number one, birds are built to face into the wind. So if there's a breeze, they're going to all be facing into that wind generally. Because you think of a bird, if you're facing with your rear end into the wind, it's just going to blow your feathers all around. It's going to make it hard to stay steady on that wire, and it's just going to make a lot of work. Well, if you turn around and face with your bill into the wind, then you're kind of aerodynamic, so the wind goes around you, and it just makes life a lot easier. So that's the number one reason. The second one is these are typically it's a flock of, of birds. And when birds flock, they generally fly in the same direction. So it makes sense that they would all face the same way so that when they take off, they're all in this flock formation and they can just head out. So I think those are the two reasons. Um, This emailer also asked, do bald eagles use the same nest each year? Um, Yes and no. Uh, Bald eagles have this really strong nest site fidelity. And that means that they return to the same nest and territory each year. If they successfully produce young, they are likely return to that nest year after year after year. They'll just keep coming back to the same nest. But a pair might choose to build a new nest in a different area if their previous nest failed to fledge eaglets or otherwise proved unsuitable. Maybe there's... um, oh, they had this nice tree and then somebody built a house right under it or something, or there's more boat traffic, uh, something that would bother them, Uh, maybe a lot of raccoons climbing up in the tree, something like that. Even though they raised eaglets, they might still say, you know, this just, uh, we're going to have to move. It just isn't working for us. But typically, if they raise babies, they're going to keep coming back to that same, same place. And I'm reminded, I get this question uh, a lot every year about uh, bald eagles. And did Ben Franklin really want the wild turkey to be our national bird? Um, No. I I think even Ben would have probably thought uh, wild turkeys are wonderful birds. I just think they're very cool. But, you know, even then that would probably have a bad connotation. So he didn't advocate for the turkey as the national bird. According to the Franklin Institute, he was against the bald eagle becoming the national bird, stating in a letter to his daughter that the bald eagle was a bird of bad moral character, whereas the wild turkey was a much more respectable bird, a bird of courage. So all he was saying was the wild turkey was a better bird than the bald eagle. But I don't think, I don't know if he said this ought to be our national bird. He just, he was really against the bald eagle being it. And I imagine they probably saw what a lot of people see today. The bald eagle would steal bird or fish from the ospreys. Uh, Bald eagles will eat a lot of roadkill and eat. Probably just didn't think that was really what uh, it should be all about as far as a national bird goes. So that's probably why he was a little bit against that. Have you seen any woolly bear caterpillars? I wonder if anybody has. I I haven't I, yet. I don't think, at least not for a while. I haven't. So I mean, I have throughout the season saw a few, but not many. No, and I'm I'm gonna be looking for them today and stuff. You know, we. 
do they really do woolly bear caterpillars forecast winter weather? And we know woolly bears there. They have the middle brown section, and they're black at both ends, and they're little fuzzy wuzzies that crawl across the road and grow up to be moths one day. But according to folklore, and uh, boy, I've looked at them all my life, these caterpillars, the middle brown section, the wider that is, the milder the coming winter will be. So the number of brown hairs indicates a nice winter if it's if there's a lot. Really, those brown hairs have to do with the age of the caterpillar. Oh, really? So, it is, so it's nothing yeah. to really to do with, well, I know it's a folklore. That's why they call it folklore. Yeah, but a lot of folklore, you know, is, is kind of cool sometimes. And I know some people keep track of this, and they say, well, you know, it. Uh, it's accurate this percent of the time, but um, I don't know. We can make numbers say pretty much whatever we want. <laughs> but it's you know, if you look at a wide brown section, that or a small one, a narrow one, it's evidence of either a previous late winter or a previous early spring. So it's it's not forecasting the weather so much as telling you what the weather had been last year. So if it was a, a late winter or early spring, that will determine how much brown is in there. So so they do kind of do a little bit of weather, but they do the easiest kind. That's the kind of weather I try to predict is what's already happened. It's a lot easier. And even then, I'm not right all the time. Um, I got a nice, uh, I ran into somebody at a ball game, and they asked me, why do chipmunks make that chuck sound? They do that and you hear it, and you'll hear one chipmunk doing that. Pretty soon there's another chipmunk, and you have a whole chipmunk chorus out there just doing that. And it's, uh, he said, that's not, I thought they were supposed to chip. You know, that's why they're chipmunks. Why are they doing chuck sounds? Well, chipmunks respond to hawks flying over with aerial predator alarm calls. And it's a, that hollow, resonant cluck that is repeated frequently, and one chipmunk's vocalization can cause a number of other chipmunks to produce a call, and they do it as a warning to others, and maybe to just kind of confuse the hawk, too. As you might expect, they do not like hawks because a hawk would love to eat a chipmunk. So they just, uh, maybe if there's a whole lot of chipmunks all out there and they're all chucking away, the hawk just gets kind of like a migraine going, oh, I don't know which one to get after. I'm just leaving. At least that's, I'm sure, what the chipmunks hope. So they they make that chuck sound. Uh, A friend of mine, Lang Elliott, when he was at Cornell, did one of his advanced degree studies on that exact thing, on what why do chipmunks chuck? And uh, he found out that's what he determined and wrote his paper about was uh, that they do it in because of hawks are around, if there's no hawks around. So if you hear that sound, that would mean, at least to a chipmunk, that there's something up flying around or perhaps perched in a tree that would certainly eat a chipmunk. And it gets them upset, as you as you might well expect. It would get. Well, don't you upset. think they'd be chipping and chuck clucking if we were around too? Because wouldn't they be f- fearful of us? I would think. Yeah, but they don't uh, do the chuck sound when oh, we're around. Okay. Lang said so. They'll make some cheeps. You know, when I go outside to fill the feeders, 
one little chipmunk makes a cheeping sound, and he runs up the eaves trough and the downspout coming down, and then he gets in there, and when I walk near that, he can't keep quiet. He has to cheep while he's in there, too. If he just shut up, I usually wouldn't even know he's in there, but mm-hmm. he can't do that. He has, makes that real loud cheep sound. And if I move a little bit, then he comes out, and his tail is about as big around as he is. He just makes this really big tail. It's just like a cat. When they get afraid, they puff up as big as they can be. It's kind of funny. Uh, Yeah, our cat scared herself the other day going (laughs) down in the basement, and all of a sudden she came running up with his tail as big as her head, looking back down in the basement. I said, well, there's nothing down there. So she wouldn't come along. She was... She was pretty much determined there was something down there that was going to get her. But but uh, it was, you know, it's, it's kind of funny when they do that. Maybe they just do that to make me laugh. I don't know what it is, but it worked. Because she just kept looking down there like there was something chasing her up the stairs. And, don't go down there. Don't go down there. And it was uh, it was funny. So, Al, it, I have a confession i got to make here. Okay. I got a couple postcards from our friend... John and New Ulm, and I put them somewhere where I wouldn't forget where I put them. Uh-oh. And guess what? I forgot where I put them. <laughs> so I am sorry, John, because I think he thinks that I'm, uh, you know, not getting his stuff. And I, I did, and I, I set it aside. So, John, I am really sorry. I know you had some really good stuff. And actually, I was going to type it to you and let you you know. But So I apologize. I want to get that out there right away. So We'll, we'll get it on as soon as yeah, we can. Yeah, as soon as Karen does. Uh, figures out where she put it so she wouldn't forget where she put it i do that all the time i important things i say now don't uh, don't let me forget i'm gonna put this here so i know where it's at and then later where did i put that i don't know so anyhow maybe your mom was like my mom that's what my mom always said now this is the key to this something that we hardly ever use you know so i'm going to put it somewhere so we'll remember where it's at mm-hmm. well that was uh, that almost guaranteed that we'd lose that key and never remember and then some year 20 years later you're looking and say i wonder what this was a key for <laughs> exactly yeah that's yeah. right and so, you end up with that whole drawer full of keys that nobody knows for, yeah yeah for cars that you had 15 years ago and there's no labels on any of them and so keys are about like photos and photo albums. You end up with all these keys, and you just have no idea what they're for. And instead of searching around trying to figure it out, you usually just throw them back in the drawer and say, well, we'll keep them. You never know. Maybe someday might. I'll find whatever it is I yeah. need. Yeah. And you know you're never going to. That's the the bad part about it. Geez. And then yeah. you're... you're, you're children will inherit it and say i wonder what this was for and then they'll keep it because they'll think maybe they'll stumble upon whatever it was as well and why did those two old fools keep all this stuff for (laughs) what were they thinking why i don't know why we have to go through all this stuff so it's but yeah it's mom would you know it seemed like once a week i heard that we're going to put this somewhere really in a good place Mm -hmm. so we'll always remember where it is and she would gather us all together yep so there was we can all know the witnesses yep so we'd all remember and of course nobody remembered at all see al i've been seeing lots of geese heading uh, somewhere so i assume they're getting ready to go back and i'm seeing lots and lots of those white gulls now do they head somewhere too because the white gulls are just uh on the on the lake just they they hang out on this little sandbar out there and they're just just makes it white like snow out there but i assume they must go somewhere as well they do and the franklin's gulls that we have here go quite a way south so they kind of get out here a little bit earlier they're the smaller ones with the dark heads 
the most common ones we have here are the ringbill gulls, and they'll hang around as long as there's open water and there's some food or a, a drive-through at McDonald's with stale French fries or something. So they'll hang around for a long time, and then they'll they'll just kind of head south and they go as far as they need to to find decent weather and lots of food. So they'll they'll head down there and just be happy wherever they're at. Canada geese are kind of the same way. Boy, I was at, uh, up in Hopkins this weekend, and there was a church up there that the whole, they had a nice lawn, beautiful green lawn, and it was just covered with Canada geese out there eating the grass and, and fertilizing too. So they were paying for the grass they were eating. But they will kind of just, um, they'll hang around. I mean, they, they're wearing goose down, so they're warm. The cold temperature doesn't bother them. What would bother them is if the ice all freezes. Then they need to go somewhere where there's open water. So they kind of do the same thing as, um, as the gulls, the ringbills do. They'll just move around and as long as they can stay in open water where there's food. And we counted... Oh, I'm going to forget what year it was, but a Christmas bird count here at in uh, Albert Lee on Albert Lee Lake. We counted eight, over 8,000 um, Canada geese, and that was right around Christmas Day too. And the aerator keeps the water open, and somewhere they were finding enough food. And I see them every day flying out here, and they're landing out in. A lot of the sweet corn fields, and I saw a bunch of them in bean fields the other day. I don't know how much soybeans they would eat. I wouldn't think very many, but it's um, interesting how they make it. They love going in cornfields after they're harvested. Well, you know, we used to have, like, I think I mentioned this before, we'd spread the liquid manure from our, our big pit. It was a million-gallon manure pit, and we used to get, uh, I don't know if it was scorched or burned tapioca or something, so it was like a white snow uh, storm following as my dad would be out there with the big honey wagon as he called it spreading that manure that had that tapioca uh, whatever lumps clumps in it so it was always kind of a <laughs> funny to watch that the, oh. the, the, the brown field turned white I like tapioca so much that even that sounds good sadly <laughs> I just love tapioca so. <laughs> chocolate tapioca I guess no just kidding but, oh no. Anyway, what's going on at the cafe? Speaking of food. Speaking of tapioca, yeah, where the food chain is missing a few links and a special is always Heimlich Maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. I told the good folks at our table of infinite knowledge this morning that I'd stopped at the grocery store. I had a shopping list that included bottled water. So I bought a few six-packs of the water, and as I carried the water to my car, it occurred to me that I'm a throwback. It wasn't long ago that my ancestors carried water from wells for drinking purposes, and not long before that, that they lugged water from streams and lakes. I hope they're pleased to know that I'm still hauling water. Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Do something wild today. Uh, Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen. John from New Ulm, keep those uh, postcards coming. We love the postcards. Karen will find it eventually. <laughs> Where yeah, I put it somewhere. I know I set it place. aside. Yeah, so thanks. It's always great to chat with you, and uh, happy bird watching until we meet again. I look forward to it. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye.